Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In his treatise on freedom of choice, one of the issues that Anselm delves into is how it is that a person can become what his student and the the teacher in the dialogue are calling a servant of sin. This is coming from a biblical context, but if you turned off by that, you can put aside the theological language and frame it instead in terms of how is it that a person can become such that he or she cannot help doing the wrong things, committing injustice, however you want to frame it. So what we're talking about here is a sort of state in which a person seems to be unfree. And so he begins in chapter two, the student says, there's something that bothers me about this ability to sin. Someone who is able to sin is able to be the servant of sin, since he who does sin is the servant of sin. But whoever is able to be the servant of sin is able to be mastered by sin. So therefore, it seems that that person in their will, in the choices that they make, is unfree. They are able to make choices, but the horizons of their choices or the options in some way wind up being restricted in practicality by this disposition or whatever it is that we're talking about in terms of being a servant of sin. So to say that that person is mastered means that they are no longer free in that respect. And Anselm has his teacher provide a useful analogy that helps to clarify this to some degree. He talks about a free rich person and a poor person. And unless the free rich person makes some sort of commitment, that quite frankly seems rather irrational in the the scope of this analogy, that person cannot be mastered by the poor person. That is that the poor person cannot dominate them, make them make the choices that the poor person wants rather than those that would be in the rich person's interests or uh, those that the rich person would prefer for some other reason. However, once that rich person has made that rather paradoxical commitment and said, okay, I will be your servant, The rich person is stuck. The poor person is the master of the rich person. And the rich person can't say takesies backsies or anything like that. They are stuck in that condition. And so Anselm says, well, we human beings in relation to what what this idea that we're calling sin are in a similar relation. And, And what is sin? We should remind ourselves that it is a lack of justice in the will, a lack of rectitude of will maintained, saved, preserved, kept for its own sake. In Latin, rectitudo voluntatis propter se servata. That is Anselm's definition of justice. So when injustice is in the will, we're in a rather bad state. 
Now, if we jump quite a, a ways ahead into chapter 10, we see some important discussion of how it is that a creature becomes a servant of sin and what the effects of this are. So he tells us, uh, this is the teacher again, a rational nature always has free choice because it always has the ability to keep uprightness of will or rectitude of will for the sake of that uprightness itself. But when free will deserts this uprightness because of the difficulty of keeping it, then free will subsequently serves sin because of the impossibility of recovering uprightness through its own efforts. So then it becomes a wind that goes out and does not return turn. So he says, indeed, just as before having uprightness, no will was able to take it without God receiving it. So upon deserting the uprightness, which has been received, the will is unable to recover it unless God give it again. So the will, once it has damaged itself by choosing something else, by abandoning its own rectitude of will, by not keeping it for its own sake, then it's going to be in trouble. It willingly abandons rectitude by willing something else in preference to it. Could be money, it could be vainglory, it could be sexual pleasure, it could be vengeance, it could be a, a whole host of other things. It could even be willing something that is good but is not supposed to be had at that particular time. And the key thing is here that there's a choice that has to be made between maintaining rectitude of will or uprightness of will for its own sake and pretty much everything else, the creature chooses the anything else. That doesn't even mean, by the way, that it doesn't also will rectitude of will for its own sake. It just has to will that less strongly and will the other thing more so that that becomes the object of, of the will. So it abandons rectitude of will. Once it's gone, it cannot recover it by itself. So the person can't say, well, you know, I screwed up, I'm really sorry. I realize I shouldn't have done this. It wasn't the right thing. I'm gonna go back to where I was. There isn't any going back to where you were, not for Anselm. Nor can you sort of projectively will yourself into having that, that rectitude of will. That's not gonna work either it's always going to fail. That doesn't mean that you can't will the right thing at any given time. It doesn't mean that you can't recognize that you're missing something. All of that is perfectly possible within Anselm Schema. You simply cannot restore in its integrity rectitude of will and then maintain it for its own sake within oneself. So another thing that he says about this is that the will, in fact, that's a sort of, you know, the first thing is a possibility statement. The second is a moral statement. The will actually deserves to always lack rectitude of will once it's abandoned it. It's, it's sort of like if we want to personalize this, if you are dating somebody and then you decide that you want to, you know, upgrade and date somebody else who has other attributes that you like better, and then they turn out not to be quite so congenial as you thought, and you go back to the first person, the first person is not going to, unless, you know, there's, there's something else going on there. The first person, if they're rightly minded, are not going to take you back. As a matter of fact, you don't deserve to be taken back because you chose something else instead. 
And rightness of will kind of works the same way, except without this personalization. The person who has abandoned rectitude of will or uprightness of will in favor of something else doesn't deserve to get it back. And so there's a little bit of a side note here. Anselm says it's actually a greater miracle when God restores rectitude of will in a living human being who is, you know, asking for it or contrite or something like that. That's a greater miracle than raising a dead person from their body being dead to a state of life. So it kind of puts things in perspective there. In chapter 11, he picks up this interesting question. How is it that a person can seem to be both a servant and free at the same time? And as usual with Anselm, what's going on here is the person is a servant in one respect, but free in another respect. And these are both compatible at the same time. So he says, if we distinguish clearly, we can see how a person is both servant and free without contradiction when they don't have the uprightness or rectitude of will that we've been talking about. Why? They never have the ability to acquire this uprightness when they don't have it, but they always have the ability to keep it when they do have it. So he says, with respect to the fact that he cannot return from sin, he is a servant. So he's a servant in that he cannot, by his own efforts, reproduce rectitude of will within himself. So he's a servant to sin. And at the same time, he is also free because if he had that rectitude of will, nothing, not even God himself, can forcibly draw a person from that rectitude. The only way it can be lost is if the person willingly chooses to abandon it and that's always done within some sort of context. So they can, in fact, keep rectitude of will when they have it. They just don't have it at this point in time. But were they to have it counterfactually, or perhaps even just, you know, five minutes later, right? They can have it. They have the ability to keep it because they have the faculties of rationality and of will, as Anselm says, at a number of points. Now, with all of this discussion about servitude to sin, you might say, well, what does that actually mean? And Anselm only clarifies that later on in chapter 12, and it's very straightforward and it's rather open-ended as well. The translation that we, we have here has that the servitude consists in nothing other than an ability to avoid sinning. The Latin is a little bit more terse impotentia, a powerlessness, a lack of power, incapacity, non peccandi, to not sin. So does this mean that a person who is lacking rectitude of will can never do anything right? They must always do the wrong thing? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It just means that inevitably they're going to screw up. And they're going to screw up because they have the wrong motivational structure because they're not keeping justice in their will for its own sake or rectitude of will for its own sake because they don't have it. This doesn't mean that they can't do some actions that are good. This doesn't mean that they can't recognize their condition, but it does mean that there's a certain lack, a certain privation of what ought to be there in the person that will remain until they are somehow restored to integrity and that will break that cycle of servitude. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. 
You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.